Welcome to another episode of Let's Chat With. With me today is Brianne Davids, actress, director, producer, podcaster, and the author of the very successful book, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. How are we doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. So let's first talk about your acting. How'd you get started in acting? Oh my gosh. Uh, I got started over 20 years ago. I was a very shy, introvert, very nervous kid and I had ADHD and I just always felt like I didn't belong. And in high school, you had to take uh, volleyball or drama. And I kept getting bruises. Every time I took volleyball, I would like be bruised up. And so I was like, fine, I'll take drama. And I was so nervous. I wasn't sure I could memorize the lines, but the day like the play came out, a part of me just like floated out and I was like, oh my God, I love doing this. So that got me excited. But my first job was on Remember the Titans when it came to Atlanta and I auditioned for it. Yeah. With Denzel Washington, I auditioned for the rival cheerleader. It was like cheerleader number two. It was like, I didn't even have a name and, but I got the part and I got two lines and I shot for a month from like 4 p.m. to 4 a.m. It was during the summer and it was the best thing I've ever done because it was like this family that came together that was creating something bigger than them. But then my lines got cut. So I didn't find out. Yeah, I didn't find out till I went to the movie theaters to see the movie and all my friends and family bought tickets and my part was gone. So I got like the job and the experience and then the rejection of Hollywood, but I just loved it. So that was like my first like acting experience. You've been in a few of my favorite shows like Dawson's Creek, CSI, Body of Proof, Mentalist, Rosewood, History Mm -hmm. Channel 6, and Lucifer. What's it like being someone who's done a, a great many things in their career? You know, it's so funny because I never get recognized and I'm ne- I'm just a working actor. I've literally been in 60. If you look at my resume, I've been working nonstop for t- 20 years, but I don't get recognized. You know, I think I've got a handful of times when I ask for autographs. So I really just go into the parts and escape. Like I love escaping. I love putting on other costumes. I love playing all different roles. Like every single role is completely different, which I'm grateful for. So one thing like six, you wouldn't recognize me from Lucifer. I just don't look the same. So I'm just, I'm glad I've made a career of this and and I love my job. It's the hardest job in the world, but it's the best job in the world. What's it like to be someone that people want to keep working with on projects? Um, you know, it's it's good. I mean, it would be bad if people are like, I hate her. She's a horrible person. But, you know, I like being rehired by the same directors and producers. But then at times I'm not. I've gone in for parts, you know, with the same directors or producers and then not gotten the parts. And it's that can be taxing sometimes. You're like, oh, I didn't get it. But then, you know, I've directed also two movies. So I know it's like a puzzle. You might not fit with all those other elements and people. So you just have to take it with a grain of salt. Like I love working with people, but then I love working with new people. What projects do you have coming up in the future related to movies and TV? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, we, for the book, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict, my husband and I just wrote the pilot, TV pilot, and it's getting shopped around. So, you know, I don't want to play the lead character at all, Roxanne, but, you know, if it gets picked up, I would love to play Alice. So hopefully that goes through. 
But right now it's just been slow and Hollywood is just picking up. So I just had Secret Life of a Celebrity Surrogate come out on Lifetime and Lucifer came out before that. So right now I'm hitting the pavement. I'm auditioning. I wake up at 4 a.m. to audition sometimes. So speaking of the book, Secret Life yes. of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict, can you explain Longest a little bit about it? Longest title ever, right? Longest title yes. ever. Can you explain a little bit about it? Yeah, it's a Roma Clef fiction. Everybody thinks it's a memoir. It was written as a memoir first. It is based on my life, but it's also my imagination and a self-help book. And it takes you on a ride. I wrote it like a film or a television show so someone could get in the, the mind of an addict that's an, a working actress, not an A-list celebrity. So you get to see the behind the scenes of Hollywood, like the nitty gritty, the horrible stuff nobody talks about. And then you get to see, you know, this young actress get her life together. She's a shit show. So she really, you know, is really bad in relationships and keeps going with unavailable people. Then she becomes unavailable. So you get this roller coaster ride of all the drama and her sexuality, not knowing how to hold her own sexuality in a healthy way and using it more as a weapon. So you know, it's a year long of Roxanne's life, which is based on me, but it is a fiction. It's a novel. So for those who don't know, what is sex and love addiction exactly? Yes, I love that's my all time favorite question, because that's the reason I wrote the book. Nobody talks about sex and love addiction. It's, you know, sex addiction, people think it's not even a real disease. And it's like, if you can get it addicted to cocaine or alcohol, you can get it to sex because it's the same endorphin. So sex and love addiction, the easiest way for me to define for people. So look at the sex addiction side. It's when you're addicted to masturbation, porn, one night stands, cheating, going online, constantly dating multiple people at one time. We are addicted to the sex, using sex as power and control and manipulation. Then on the love addiction side, it's going after the unavailable person, always looking for that one to fix you, that soulmate. You know, um, that one also, it looks like online dating, a lot of online dating problems, fantasy intrigue, flirting, that whole love side. And what happens is you usually do both at the same time. You know, you have a fantasy of someone to fix you, you play a role. Then you use your sexuality when you're really not attached to it to manipulate and control. And then that person gets like available and then you become unavailable and become sexually anorexic because underneath all those addictions to people, we're addicted to people like alcoholics are addicted to bottles of alcohol or drug addicts are addicted to drug. Underneath it, it's a fear of intimacy, a fear of being abandoned, a fear of being loved, not worthy. So underneath every addiction, a chemical addiction or a people addiction is those fears. Why don't we hear about love and sex addiction as we hear about the other ones? I don't know. There's so much stigma and shame to be addicted to people because I believe and I see that our society amplifies. I mean, look at any television show or film. Somebody on it is obsessed with somebody or wanting a partner or being obsessed with love and romance. And I feel our society, especially with music and film and art, really amplifies looking for that person to complete you, fixing your outside so you can find the mate. You know, I just believe our society is like putting all these messages on us. And really, we don't need to be looking for anybody to complete us. We have to look inside ourselves. And that's why I wrote the book was to say, hey, 
we only talk about sex and love addiction or sex addiction when it's a man that gets caught cheating on his wife. He has to go to sex rehab, even though he says he's really not a sex addict. And that's the only time we hear about it. And it's like, there's 30 million Americans that have sex and love addiction. And that statistic was six years ago. And I just have to say, being over a decade in recovery, speaking all around the world, helping people all around the world, this is out of control. There's more suicide, murder, people in jail for this addiction than any other addiction. It's pretty, if you think about anybody that, you know, has a breakdown is usually over relationships. Watch a dateline. Everyone is about some love triangles, some unrequited love. So I just feel like there's a lot of shame and stigma about, you know, being obsessed with somebody, stalking people, all that stuff that we do that we don't talk about. For you, what was the moment that you said, I can't act like this, I can't do this anymore, I have to change? Oh, gosh, yeah. I call that, you know, you're like waking it up, bottoming out moment is what we call it, your bottom, when you have that revelation, like I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And mine, you know, I've hit a lot of bottoms. <laughs> if you read the book, you get to hear a lot about them, moments I'm not proud of, but I really wanted to put it all out there and just like throw it out there and say, here, it, here's everything horrible I've thought, said, done, or no other people to do. Um, but my one that really broke, brought me to my knees and got me to change is I, a mentor of mine died, an acting mentor that I worked with forever. And I found myself two days later on location shooting a movie. You'll never know which movie. And um, I was starting to flirt in intrigue again with someone I didn't even like. Like, I remember looking at the person be like, I don't even like you. You're rude to waiters. Like, you're not even a nice person. And at home, I had this boyfriend that I moved in with and we've been together for a year and a half. And I really cared about him. I loved him as much as I could love somebody. And here I was two days later after this traumatic event about to blow up my life again. And I just said, I had this moment in a holiday in looking in like a mirror in the dark going, oh my God, it can't be everybody else not giving me what I need. It can't be I'm with this person for a year or two years and then I'm like that high wears off, that love high, that, you know, the butterflies, all that stuff wears off and reality hits where you have to pay the bills, take out the laundry and all that. And I said, something is really wrong with me. Like, I don't want to be doing this till I'm 80 years old trying to find this person that will always make me feel important and special and admired and give me validation. And I just had that moment. And I had this light bulb, like call someone. And I called a friend that I knew had a therapist in our network for SAG. And I said, I, I need help. Something's going on. Like I'm about to blow up my life and cheat or be inappropriate. And yeah, I went and saw a therapist when I got back in town Uh, I sat with her, you know, she told me some really horrible things, but she said at the end of our session, she was like, oh, I know what's the matter with you. You're a sex and love addict. And I was like, what is that? That's a guy made of disease. Like I'm just young. I'm in my twenties. I I'm just having fun trying to find my place in this world. And she said, no. And we filled out the 40 questions. You can go online right now. If any of this resonates with you, it's 40 self-diagnosed law, S-L-A-A questionnaire. And it's questions like, do you look for someone to fix you? Are you always flirting and intriguing? Do you have 
uh, sex at inappropriate places at inappropriate times with inappropriate people? Do you keep going back to an unavailable person? Do you have destructive relationships? Things like that. And I filled it out and that's in chapter three. You'll, you can hear my number out of 40. So yeah, it was brutal. It was brutal. So looking back at everything that's gone through your life, what advice would you give your, your younger self? Well, I think the first thing I would say is you're enough just as you are. You know, if like now I know after all this work and all the internal job I've done on myself, you can take away my career, you can take away my money, you can take away my husband, my son, you can take away anything and I'll be okay because I've worked on my internal soul. So that would be the first thing. And the second thing is like, you are never going to find a man that is going to give you that love high forever. It doesn't exist because I grew up in film and television. I was a latchkey kid. You know, I saw Romeo and Juliet when I was six years old. I was obsessed with Jaws at seven years old. I was living in fantasy and make-believe. And every movie I saw was like the falling in love stage, the first kiss, the first like time intimate and all that stuff. It didn't ever show like, how do you have healthy conversations about money? How do you have healthy sexuality that's not you know, endorphin rushed high? How do you have a conversation about commitment and boundaries? So that I feel is like what I would tell my younger self. So you create the, you created the character Roxanne using yes. your, a little bit of your, your life and stuff. So how would you, um, what was it like creating her using sort of your life? Well, first, when I wrote, I never wanted to write a novel. I was never going to break my anonymity. I was not interested, but I was creating a show about sex and love addicts, female sex and love addicts with my friend, Jana Kramer, and we were pitching it around town and it just kept turning into something that wasn't what I wanted to portray in the world. And I was getting so frustrated. So my husband came up to me and he said, Hey, there's this writing class. Why don't you take it? It's 90 days. And I was like, what are you talking about? I was shooting Lucifer. I was like, I'm busy. What are you talking about? And he was like, please just take it. I was like, I'm dyslexic. Like I can't write. I am the worst speller. What are you talking about? Leave me alone. And he kept asking me. And finally I just said, okay, fine. I'll take it. And he said, listen, you don't have to tell anybody. If you hate it after a couple of weeks, just quit no one will have to know. It's not that much money. So I took the class and I wrote the first draft in 45 days. It just was like, came out of me and it was pure memoir. And I just, when I was rewriting it with my editor, I just, all these, these dreams and imaginations and other people's stories I've heard through the years and situations and just started coming and things I blacked out also in my life. And I just put it all in there and I didn't know what I was going to do with it. And I was sitting there one day doing rewrites, which was torture, especially chapter five, six, and seven. Those are brutal for me to read and write. Um, I was like, who is this girl? She's me, but she's not me at the same time. She's other people too. And I was listening to Pandora and the song Roxanne from Police came on. You know, you don't have to put on the red light. And I was like, oh, it's Roxanne. You know, like everybody's got some Roxanne in them. Everybody's done things they're shameful of or they're, they never morally thought they would in that stigma and that they're searching outside of themselves to like be validated. So yeah, that's how Roxanne came to life. And I just, after I found her name, it just all, her voice became, my voice became her voice. And 
And I just love that. I have people reaching out to me. It's like, I'm just like Roxanne or my mom was, or my dad was, or my cousin is. And it just, it just, it, I'm so glad I did it. Is it one of the, was it a cathartic type of writing for you? Was it one of those, I need to get this off my chest type of process for you? God, that's such a great question. Thank you for asking that. Not really. <laughs> because like I said, I never wanted to write it. I wasn't interested. I've done over 11 years of intense therapy and 12 step work and working with other people and being of service and speaking all over the world. So when I wrote it, I just wrote it to help other people. It wasn't actually even about me and and it's still not about me. I don't even believe I wrote the book. Sometimes I, when I was practicing for the audio book, cause I had, they wanted me to read it. And I was like, wait a second, I need to narrate it. And they were like, yeah, you're narrating it. And I'm like, can't we hire somebody? And they're like, like, like an actress. And they're like, you're an actress. What are you talking about? And I was like, oh, I don't want to read it. So I was practicing because I'm dyslexic and I was practicing. And I turned to my husband. I was like, oh my God, this is, a, this is really good. And he's like, yeah, you wrote it. And I said, honestly, I don't remember writing it. It was such like bigger than me. Does that make sense? Like, it's really not about me at all. So, but I do have to say when I did the audio book, oh, that was pure torture. Imagine reading like your worst things you've ever done in your life, your worst thoughts, the things you almost did, put yourself in and all those things. And I just remember sitting in the sound booth with like a guy, a sound guy staring at me. Just, it was just, that two weeks was just brutal to record it I was like oh I think I ate like so many bags of chips that week because I was like oh eating my feelings it was just torture (laughs) what should people take away from the book what's the couple of things that they should take away well I think the thing is that anybody can you know be in a bad relationship and keep going back to a bad relationship and one person can be your qualifier one person can bring you down to your knees and it definitely gives you easy ways to do self-love and heal yourself from bad relationships or bad relationships with your parents or your friends. It's not just about love. It's about all relationships. And Roxanne goes through this journey and comes up with these 10 rules that she lives by where she can live a healthy serenity and peaceful life and be of service to other people. So I just want people to understand sex and love addiction and know that it is a very deadly disease. I've had more friends die from suicide, murder, been in jail. A really good friend of mine was in jail recently for this addiction because she went back to that unavailable man. And it's just, it's just brutal. And there's like 5% of sex and love addicts actually have sobriety over the years. It's a very big program. There's a lot of people coming in and out. So I just want to bring awareness to the disease that nobody talks about. And that's the best thing. People are saying, oh my God, I was so entertained. I laughed. I cried. I cringed. I wanted to shake Roxanne. And then the other times are like, oh my God, I never knew about sex and love addiction. And I realized I've done those things or my friend does those things. I'm going to give her the book. And the other day I was in a meeting a sex and love addicts, 12 step meeting on zoom and four women that reached out to me after reading the book were in that meeting getting help. And it just like, I was like, if that, if I can help one person not live in a destructive pattern, the rest of their life, then I've done my job. So what's the, what's the response been like from your fellow actors and actresses about the book? Oh, that's the funniest thing. You know, I've had a lot, I feel like people, 
are very uncomfortable because when you meet me and when you, if you met me 12 years ago, maybe you could see my addiction, but I was so living in secrets and shame that I was like, I said outside, I had like a mask on. I had like a mask on top of a mask on top of a mask. And I was one of those addicts that hit it very well. So when I told people I was in sex and love addiction and been sober, they are like shocked, like taken aback. They're like, what? So I always said I was like a secret slut that no one knew. Like I was a snake that no one saw coming. Like I wanted to conquer and destroy because I was broken inside. Um, But my fellow actors, a lot of them are proud. You know, a lot of the opposite sex get a little uncomfortable. And so it's been like a mixed thing. No one said anything bad, but a lot of people were shocked because it's not like I went on set and was like, Hey guys, I'm a sex and love addict. Just so you know, you know? (laughs) So yeah. Will there be a follow-up to this book in any way, shape or form? Yes. I'm in rewrites now for book two and Roxanne is going into sober dating. And that is, it's crazy. I've already got the first draft done. I'm in rewrites now. And then there's a book three and four that is already outlined. So yeah, it's a whole series following Roxanne and how you can live, you know, a sober life and not use people anymore, people, places, and things. So we get to follow her ups and downs through sober dating, commitment, and then there's another book at the end. So you've created a podcast called The Secret Life. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, that is, we just hit our year. We just hit a year, which is awesome. We Congratulations. Released, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> we hit it this week and we released 64 episodes in a year. And it's my husband and I do it together. It's fully to be of service. We don't have any sponsors or make any money and what happened is after I was writing the book and HuffPost came out, the article I wrote for being a sex and love addict, the morning it came out, I didn't realize after a decade, like all I was still holding a little bit of shame. Like I thought my world was going to end when it came out that morning. And I was like, oh my God, what did I do? Did I ruin my career? Am I ever going to get hired again? Like, are people going to think I'm like some sex maniac? Like I'm always wanting to have sex, which is not my addiction at all. I've never had a one night stand. I haven't had many sexual partners. So I had all these fears. And then what happened two hours later, nothing happened. It was like, okay, God, I get it. Like humble yourself. You're not that important in the world. Like, please, no one cares. But what did happen is I let go of that last bit of shame and stigma and thousands of people reached out to me over that month and it just got 2 million hits. And it was like, I get to help people like at a bigger level. And I woke up one morning after the pandemic, you know, last August and I was like, oh my God, Secret Life Podcast. I give people a chance to let go of that last shame and secrets and stigma that I didn't realize I was carrying around. So yeah, we've done 64 episodes, every kind of secret you can imagine. Most everybody that comes on is anonymous, 75% are anonymous. We have some famous people, but it's like, you know, using abortions as birth control, committing suicide because you can't be perfect with a shotgun, shooting your chest in a shotgun, getting sexually assaulted by your OBGYN after having a baby, you know, assaulted by a cop shame of your identity, you know, your sexuality, BDSM. I mean, it's like every kind of secret you can imagine, like stealing, stealing food from Whole Foods, you know, because you hate Jeff Bezos. Like it's like literally every kind of funny and, and dark secret. And it's just been the best thing I've ever done. One of the best things, because 
you know, I have a dozen more people reach out to me saying, thank you so much for bringing so much awareness. And, you know, it's just the best thing. So yeah, it's called Secret Life and it's people releasing their past or present secrets. So you always get uh, asked questions about your life and stuff like that. What's it like being the one asking the questions? Oh, I love it. I love it because it feels like I'm just talking. It feels like a therapy session between two people. So every episode, I try to reveal a secret of mine. So my whole tagline is, tell me your secrets, I'll tell you mine. So it's more of a conversation and not me just asking questions. It's, you know, I say, what's your secret? And then we go into it and we have a conversation about it. And most of the time I'm like, me too. You know, I've done that. So I always try to reveal a part of myself so my guest doesn't feel like they're just doing it alone. But the important thing is not about my guest or me. It's about the listener that doesn't have the voice. So really, I do it for the listener. Your podcast episodes have a true confession interview style quality to them. Why so? Why? Yeah. Well, because I feel like when two people really get authentic and raw and honest and talk about the worst of the worst or things that they're not proud they've done or they are holding on to or or that was done to them there's this healing that can happen when two people connect on that level and that's what I talk about with sex and love addiction or any addiction you just have to talk to one person and it's like two addicts talking can heal each other so I look at my guest and I saying the worst of the worst we thought, said, done, had done to us, there's something that just allows you to start letting it go, even if you've done therapy and stuff. So yeah, it's, I mean, I've had people, you know, go to AA after about something else they were dealing with. I've had people have miscarriages and then gone deeper and seen, oh, it's because I was sexually abused that I didn't know about. So every secret that's revealed has brought something else for the guests. And I'm just really proud of it. With your acting, the book and the podcast, where do you see your life in the next couple of years? That is a great question. I love to go into future tripping. That's part of my addiction. So I like to go into future tripping and be like, oh, this is going to happen. And this is going to happen. And honestly, I have to just stay in the present. It's whatever my higher power God brings to me is what is supposed to happen. And that sometimes when something bad happens or it doesn't work out, I always see down the line is like, oh, that's why that didn't work out. If six got picked up for season three, I wouldn't have ever written the book or been pitching the show with Jana, you know, and if I didn't pitch the show with Jana and it it fell through with Lakeshore, I would have never wrote the novel because I was frustrated. And if I didn't write the novel, like it just, everything happens for a reason. So I'm just really trying to stay open to whatever is meant to be and be of service and and make it not about me because that's where I stay in my peace and serenity. If I go into ego, it's just, I'm just become a monster. And I know that. (laughs) So finally, where can people get the book and also follow you online? Oh, well, if you want to get the book, it's a really fun read. It's on Amazon exclusively. We had it worldwide. The audio book is worldwide everywhere. Barnes and Noble, Amazon, anywhere you can get an audio book. Ebook is Amazon, or you can go to the website secretlifenovel.com and you can get a signed copy for 25 bucks or the audio there for only 16. We have it cheaper there. And then if you want to follow me, which if you have any questions, please DM me. I try to answer all my DMs. It's at the Brianne Davis on Instagram or TikTok, the dot Brianne Davis. And yeah, 
and you can follow the book and the podcast. Go to Secret Life Podcast, our Secret Life novel. Well, thank you, Brianne Davis, for being here on another episode of Let's Chat With. Thank you. Thank you.